0: to the Laughter, Dirt and Education podcast. Each fortnight, I get to sit down with rural and remote educators and hear their stories. Thank you for joining me for yet another episode. Before I begin, I would like to acknowledge that I am bringing this episode to you from the lands of the Wangan Yungaloo people. I also acknowledge your traditional custodians of the various lands on which you are listening from today and pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging, and extend that respect to other Aboriginal people joining us today. Welcome back to another episode. This week, I got to chat with the lovely Megan. I loved how vulnerable she was about her mental health struggles and making the massive move to the Northern Territory. I think this is often not spoken about and I love that she was able to open up about her struggles. I did want to take this time before we get into the episode though to remind you that it's okay to struggle, but always make sure you reach out to someone you trust if it becomes too overwhelming. If this episode triggers any of these thoughts, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14. This is Megan's story. Megan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for jumping
1: on. Thank you for having me.
0: So I've been following your Instagram for a while now, so it's really exciting because I really don't know your story. Can you tell us, I guess, where did you grow up? Like Take us back to the beginning before you became a teacher and then I guess why you became a teacher.
1: All right. So I grew up in Victoria on the Mornington Peninsula which is a coastal area like one and a half hours south of Melbourne CBD. I spent all of my childhood there and I guess I had a pretty good education down there. Like there's nothing that really stands out in my childhood that made me want to become a teacher. Mm. But, yeah, I definitely there's some teachers that, thinking back I remember the impact that they had on me like I think we all have those teachers that yeah but then initially I didn't want to be a teacher so I moved Mm -hmm. out of home after I finished year 12 I moved to closer to Melbourne to go to uni and I started studying health promotion oh wow that was where I wanted to take my life yeah and One of our assignments in my first year was to interview somebody who was working in the field. And I remember after that interview, I interviewed someone who was back from the Mornington Peninsula. Mm. And I realised that this was just not what I wanted. The outcomes after a health promotion degree were so broad. Yeah, yeah. I just... I needed something where I knew that I was going to uni and I knew what my job was going to be at the end. Mm. So I transferred into teaching with a health major because that was still my passion, knowing that at the end I was going to be a health teacher. <laughs> and I was going to be a, health, a high school health teacher. That was my goal. Wow. And I've never taught high school, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: funny. Did you have, like, any teachers around you growing up, as in any family members' teachers or anything like that?
1: Uh, not teachers. My dad was an education support mm-hmm. worker and he worked in his school's library, I guess, as, you know, the bit of a librarian, and he also took on some speech therapy I know some like ES support workers do like, yeah literacy intervention so he did a bit of that and my auntie she worked in a school she was the admin officer so I mean I guess in my family even now and I'm 33 I'm the only person in my extended family who's been to university oh, so wow. people went People worked in education, but, yeah, nobody went to uni and became a teacher.
0: Yeah, and obviously, like you said, you had that idea of going into high school health and you haven't gone into high school teaching at all. Did you do your pracs in high school, though?
1: Uh, Yes, I was accepted into a primary and secondary degree. Mm -hmm. So I have had a mix So my first prac. Was a prep one class, and that was just um, one week in my first year. And after that, I was sort of like, I don't think I could actually see myself in a high school. I realized that I loved little kids. And then my second prac in my second year was with a five six class, and that sort mm-hmm. of cemented for me that I did not like older students. Yeah. <laughs> I've done one prac in a high school and I taught science and psychology so my second major was psychology oh wow and I loved it yeah but I just think that they're they're a bit too attitudey for me yes (laughs) I agree yeah I just yeah I don't know I have best friends who work in high school and I just don't know how they do it yes I'm envious of their planning time but yeah (laughs) and then my final prac was in a prep class and so again I think like my first prac I was like this is what I want to do you would found your niche yeah although as a qualified teacher I've only taught prep once so oh wow but I love it
0: yeah, going into that obviously like you graduated. Did you stick around Melbourne then for your first years of teaching?
1: Yes, I did. So it took me 11 months to get my first teaching job mm-hmm. after I graduated. It was really hard to get a job. It was a totally different time to now. Yeah. It would have been I guess it was 7 years ago and I applied for hundreds of positions. Mm. And I had 10 interviews and I just could not land a job. And I finally got my first role. It was a four-month maternity leave contract in August, uh, the year after I graduated. And so I did that at one school. And it was a really rough school in Melbourne's northern suburbs. Mm -hmm. And... I think as a graduate, I really struggled. I struggled coming in in August and taking over a class and these kids who had a lot of trauma background. It was a lot for me yeah. to take on. And I didn't stay there after that contract. I got another job that was much closer to my home.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I taught there for a year and then I moved up to Alice Springs. So I did about oh yeah, almost a year and a half in Melbourne before I moved.
0: Yeah. And obviously, like you say about your first year, that four month contract. And obviously, like I'm only this making this assumption, I guess, of you, but I know in my personal experience, quite often we are very sheltered from that low socioeconomic, like the schools that do have trouble like troubled kids and that's not meaning they're naughty but they're coming with a lot of that background of not having a safe home and stuff and it's very different I guess to how we might have been raised and I think going off your own experiences and then being responsible for a class like that is very overwhelming as a first year teacher.
1: Yeah absolutely except I think My experience is probably the opposite because Mm -hmm. I did grow up in a very like the Mornington Peninsula is quite a high SES area, but there is a little pocket where I grew up that is quite disadvantaged. And I did, I grew up with family violence and parents Mm -hmm. who had addiction. And so, I think for me going into a school with kids who had a lot of trauma at that time I probably hadn't dealt with my own, own. trauma mm. so I wasn't young I know I have friends who started teaching when they were 21 I was 25 Oh wow yes started but I still I guess I felt inexperienced to take on their trauma and it was very different to my own trauma they were a lot of my students were refugees. Mm-hmm. Um, they had come from Syria or Turkey and, yeah, totally different trauma to what I had experienced yeah. growing up and bringing that into the classroom. It's quite overwhelming.
0: Yes. And, yeah, it's not just one or two children as well. It's, um, yeah. yeah, a whole classroom, I guess, majority, I of them like having that trauma background as well
1: absolutely yes yeah it's very difficult
0: and you spoke about obviously I know this is pre-covid and I'm sure times are very different now I can only speak on behalf of Queensland but is it quite normal for Melbourne to have like four graduates
1: to get a job I think, uh, so when I did graduate, it was very difficult to Mm. get a job. And definitely now it's not. We, my, I know my school right now has 15 teachers, 15 teaching positions advertised. So it, and there's so many teaching positions across Melbourne. We're so desperate, but seven years ago I think it was completely different and I remember my lecturers and tutors talking to us and saying some of you won't get jobs some of you will have to mm. go into relief teaching because that's just the reality
0: yeah yeah and I think a lot of I can even re- being um I can even remember being told the same thing and. In- at the time, it probably was like, "Oh, you're just trying to scare me, but then you do hear these stories of teacher numbers are so high that, as a graduate, it is difficult to get those positions, especially in the bigger cities, I guess,
1: yeah, it was, and I guess at that time, I wasn't open to going outside of Melbourne, yeah I I was renting, I had a couple of housemates, and I just couldn't picture myself leaving Melbourne and going somewhere, a small town by myself, and having to put myself out there. Mm.
0: And that's it, it is a very big jump to do that, too.
1: Yes. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Obviously, you did make that jump, though, because, and you made a very big jump. You ended up in Alice Springs. So tell me, how did that eventuate?
1: So I moved to Alice Springs because that's where my partner at the time was living. Mm-hmm. So we did meet in Melbourne and he was working in Melbourne and I had just landed my, oh, no, sorry. When we met I wasn't teaching. Yeah. Um, I was just about to finish uni. And so we were together for almost a year and Then he decided that he'd had enough of working in Melbourne and he was a part of a Facebook group for social workers from his degree and somebody posted Mm -hmm. a job in Alice Springs and he was like, I'm going to do it. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And we had, I guess because we'd only been together for a year and then at that time, that he decided to leave, I just got my first teaching job in Melbourne. Yeah. So we did long distance for the entire time that I taught in Melbourne, so like 16 months, and then afterwards I just thought, why, like, why not go to Alice Springs? I love this guy. There's nothing that I'm tied to here in Melbourne anymore, so let's just give it a shot. Wow. I'd gone up a couple of times throughout our long distance relationship Mm -hmm. to visit him. And, yeah, I just, I was young. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I was going to ask, had you been up there before? And obviously him living up there would give you a good excuse to go visit anyway.
1: Yes, yes. So i probably probably gone up three times Mm -hmm. and just... Not for really long visits, like a couple of school holidays, so maybe like a week and I think a long weekend. But enough to get a feel for the town and to think maybe I could do this.
0: Yeah, and obviously you've made that jump. How did you go about applying for schools? Did you find a job, finding a job was easier in the Territory and Alice Springs particularly or was it? Similar to Melbourne,
1: it was completely different and mm-hmm. so easy. I wondered why I hadn't done it, yeah, in the first place. <laughs> but at first, it was a little bit confusing because coming from uni, our tutors had done quite a bit for us in setting us up. They'd submitted our forms for our registration, so we didn't have to oh, do wow. any of that side of st- stuff. And then coming to the NT, I had to do everything mm. by myself. But I initially in August the year before I moved, I'd started googling sort of Alice Springs teaching jobs. And one school came up that was advertising and during one of my visits I contact I'd contacted the principal and she met with me and she Wrote me a list of all of the things that I had to do to get my registration, my OCA card, and my police check. And so, because that had all been done for me in Victoria, it was really good having her outline it all for me. Yeah. And so I went back and I did that. And then she said, All you do is contact principals. And I was like, surely not. That's so easy. And so I did. And then they had, um, I'm sure they still have it, but you can apply to be put into a pool as well Mm -hmm. and you just upload your resume. And then principals started contacting me and it was amazing. (laughs) Completely opposite experience. Yes. It was such a confidence boost. So I had. There was one particular school in Alice Springs that I was really interested in and I'd been emailing this principal for a couple of months, but she didn't have a position coming up at her school Mm -hmm. But because it's quite a small network and everybody knows everybody. She'd passed my resume on to another principal and then that principal called me and that's how I got my first teaching job.
0: Wow. And I guess, can you give us a little bit of context for those people who haven't been to Alice Springs? I guess it is quite a big town. Like it does have all the facilities there that you would need, but how many people do you, like, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but like how many schools would you guess are in Alice Springs?
1: Um so it is a big town i think there's mm. about 30,000 people that live in Alice Springs. Yeah. And there are a lot of schools. Mm. I remember visiting when i was coming up to see my partner and thinking there was only one school because there's only one school that's in sort of the CBD. Yes. But there's six government primary schools.
0: Because I guess Spring. Alice Springs is very, like, spread out, isn't it?
1: In yeah, some I,
0: aspects.
1: I think it's the, it's the fourth biggest city in the NT. Mm. And so it's quite a big town. And like you said, we have everything, but you're very isolated yes. as well. Like, as soon as you leave Alice Springs, there's nothing.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> So... Yeah, we do have, there's quite a number of schools um, and quite a lot of religious schools as well. We mm. have a Catholic school, a Lutheran school and, and another religi- another Christian religious school. So we're pretty well covered.
0: Yeah. And, and then the school that school. you got your job at, could, how big was that school?
1: That had... About 400 students. Mm-hmm. So they are pretty big schools. My first school that I worked at in Melbourne only had about 300 students. Wow. So, it, yeah, there's some very small schools in Alice Springs and then also some really big schools. So yeah, I did work at three schools during my time oh, wow. there yeah. and the biggest school had over 500 students.
0: From transition to six?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's really, we're not talking about tiny little remote yeah, schools. They're very well yeah. resourced and well populated.
0: Yes. So this first school, because like you just said, there were three schools you taught at over your time in Alice. But what was your first position
1: at this first school? So I was a year three, four teacher. And I was team teaching with another year three, four teacher. And we had a double classroom with 50 students. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. So it's completely like a suburban area Mm. in that aspect where it's not a tiny class. And it was a very high SES school yeah which was not what I was used to. It's not how I grew up. And in a lot of ways, Alice Springs can be quite segregated. Yeah. Um, so this was a very the parents were very wealthy at this school. We had a very low Aboriginal student population, mm-hmm. and those students who were indigenous, their parents likely had degrees and full-time jobs yeah so it wasn't really the experience that I was coming to Alice Springs to have Mm. um and yeah totally different to anything that I had ever experienced before and I just it wasn't for me
0: okay and why do you think that was like obviously high social economic like I know I personally I would say I've taught low and medium I guess so I'm not even familiar with schools that have a high SES background but why do you think that wasn't for you like obviously it wasn't really what you were probably picturing when you were moving to Alice Springs but yeah tell me more
1: yeah I guess it's very different in that the pressure doesn't come from the kids as such mm. it comes from the parents yeah and it also comes a lot from your leadership which well i guess that's like any school really but mm. there was a lot of pressure to push kids that were achieving at level beyond Yeah. Being at level. And that was something that I'd never had any experience in doing. My experience in Melbourne was with ESL kids and kids from trauma backgrounds who, if we could get them at level, that was amazing. So I couldn't understand why I would have to push kids even further. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we...
0: Push them so much as it is, and then, like, if they're achieving at level like that, is a celebration within within itself. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So, how long did you say you were at that school? Sorry.
1: Oh, I was only there for twelve months, and I was really open with the principal about why I wanted to leave. So we started having that conversation about halfway through the year. She really encouraged me to stay but I just I just couldn't yeah. and so I ended up moving to another school I guess on the other side of Alice Springs mm-hmm. because it is a big town so yeah. it was a 10 minute drive <laughs> the other side of town and it was the opposite of what I had been at yeah a very high aboriginal population Um, I had a lot of kids who had trauma background again but to to a degree that I had not experienced before I guess Mm -hmm. like the kids who were refugees but a different trauma like something I had no experience with but I loved it it was Mm. hard but I loved it
0: yeah, and I was going to ask, you mentioned you did your major in psychology as well. Do you think that obviously teaching psychology is very different if you're going into high school, but do you think the content you were taught during uni about that helped you at all as a teacher?
1: Yeah, I think so because the content that we were doing as a psych major wasn't so much about how to teach Mm-hmm. psych. It was, I guess, assuming that you would go on further to do psych. I was just doing the basic subjects. And if you were in yeah. a psych degree, I assume you would have been doing a lot more subjects, mm. but definitely it gave me a lot more insight into a bit of child development and um, the ways that our brain reacts to trauma And, yeah, like brain development and, yeah, for sure. Yeah,
0: Yeah. and you said you loved this school. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Obviously you said it was a bit more low socioeconomic, but what grades
1: did you teach there? When I first got there I taught year one and year two in a Mm -hmm. composite class and I think from the get-go I loved it because it was the first time that I'd been able to teach junior primary and it was something that I'd been asking for since I started teaching. Yeah, And to finally have a principal say, yeah, we'll give you this opportunity. I guess I felt appreciated and listened to and I had freedom to teach in the way that I wanted to and to bring in play and craft into my classroom that is so wonderful because I think
0: sometimes I don't know I'm only speaking from my experience and sometimes it's not even leadership's fault by any means but like when you are teaching those lower years and I guess any grade really like sometimes everyone is so focused on curriculum which obviously we need to get through but At the end of the day, they are kids and that play and that craft is still so, so important for them. Yes,
1: and it's it's my favourite thing to bring in. And I understand that leadership always say, you know, you get a preference, but at the end of the day, we'll put you where we need you. Yeah, But everybody has their year levels that they're more drawn to and when you finally get to be in that space, it's just I think... Well, I know for me, I became the teacher that I wanted to be because I finally was given that opportunity.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. amazing. Because it was a low socioeconomic school. Did you have any, um, obviously there would have been a trauma background for a lot of these kids and English as a second language, but do you think the school with all these things to deal with, like was it supportive? Did you have colleagues and like them obviously admin, sounds very supportive do you think everyone banded together well to be able to support everyone through these challenges Uh,
1: for the most part yeah I think like any school you had your people that you went to when things were really tough so my principal was always somebody that I felt I could go to to talk to she often would put a bit of a comedic spin on things. Mm. In her former life, she was a stand-up comedian. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so, I know, it's crazy, then you become a principal. Yes. <laughs> but he could always count on her to sort of, you would come out of her office in a better mood. Yeah. And then I had my colleagues who I felt I could go to, who I had formed friendships with and just vent and get advice and support from.
0: Yeah. And I probably should have asked you this earlier, but obviously you had been living in Alice Springs for over 12 months by the time you are at this school. How did you find that? Because obviously Melbourne to Alice Springs, like not even – putting in that school and teaching aspect, how did you find the move and in settling into a new town?
1: It was a really big struggle at mm-hmm. first. I found it really overwhelming to go from a place where I get, like I wasn't single, like I was in a relationship, but I had mm. I guess a lot of freedom and time to myself in Melbourne and I had my friends here and then when I moved to Alice Springs, the only person I had was my partner. Yeah, And we went from not really spending a lot of time together to suddenly living together and me not having anybody else and being in this completely new town. I really struggled and I did have to go and seek help.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I felt well I was diagnosed with depression, I felt yeah, really overwhelmed and sad, and I didn't know if I'd made the right choice. Yeah, and then coupled with being at a school that wasn't the right fit for me. mm. Yeah, first it was really difficult.
0: Yeah, and I'm really glad. Thank you for opening up about that because I think we quite often speak about the difficulties in schooling and teaching, but at the end of the day, we are human and we do have life changes. And obviously, you were that little bit older than what a lot of graduate teachers are, but it doesn't actually matter your age at all. Like, I do believe age is just a number because. Making those big moves, yes, it is a risk, but like everyone's going to be impacted differently, and it's also okay to say, Okay, I'm struggling, maybe I need to get some help.
1: Yes, absolutely. And moving into state, even though I was so excited and it was something that I'd wanted, mm. you know, you have no idea how it's going to impact you when you're actually in that situation.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: And, yeah, I think at any point in your life, you can make a change and think that, yeah, it's going to be so great, but things don't always turn out how you thought they would. Mm. And, uh, yeah, you're human first. Yeah, So
0: completely agree. So your second school, obviously you said you felt a lot more at home, I guess you could say there you felt like you'd found your niche and that probably had a lot to do with teaching lower primary you then went on to a different school. I guess, what was your decision? How long did you stay at your second school? And then why did you
1: make that change? Yeah, so I stayed at my second school for three years, but I'd had time off for maternity leave. So Mm -hmm. really, I only did two years there and So I did my year in one two, and then that was my preference again. But I was moved up to a four-five, and I think my principal knew that I wasn't happy with that decision. Mm. But I sort of I sucked it up because I was already pregnant. Okay, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) I knew I would only be doing it for six months. And so I did that, and then I had a year off to have my daughter. And then I came back and I came back Mm part-time. I was halfway through the year. I was doing three days a week and I was doing a few different roles. I was covering some art classes, which I loved. I was doing upper primary art. I was doing some literacy intervention with the junior primary kids And then I was doing some STEM. Um, I was a little bit all over the place. And I realised when I came back, even though I was part-time and I was seeing all these different kids every day, that it was becoming a bit too difficult at that point in my life, Mm. having Alice, my daughter, she, you know, I was going home to a one-year-old. And I just felt like I was so drained from being around these kids who needed all my love and support and then I Mm. couldn't go home and give that to my own child who it was the most deserving of that. So I put some feelers out to other schools, emailed some principals and one got back to me and said she was looking for a prep teacher and that was my dream it was Mm -hmm. I've always wanted to teach prep and so I couldn't say no I had to go back to work full time but that I you know it was a risk and I loved it
0: that's good and uh I'm really glad you brought up your daughter. So, obviously, I don't think I've actually had any guests on the podcast who have been mothers and teaching. So, I guess, how was that? Obviously, you were raising Alice in a town where your family weren't there, like you obviously have your partner, but and then to go back teaching, how... Did that go for you? Because obviously I'm not a parent, so I honestly cannot relate at all, but I can only imagine the juggle. And like you said, that your previous school, like you were just drained by the end of the day. But how did you find it more from an aspect of, yeah, not having your family and being away from that home village, I guess?
1: Really, really hard. Mm -hmm. Really hard. Like from the get-go, from as soon as Alice was born, it was hard. Mm -hmm. And, (laughs) I mean, I guess I was open before about my mental health. And, again, after Alice was born, I was diagnosed with postnatal depression and it was so hard not having family around to support me. And then my partner, he'd gone back to work full time and he was a social worker so he was dealing with really traumatic things at his mm. work and then having to come home to parent alice and support me like it was such a difficult time and going back to work was probably something that i needed and yeah. i think i know yeah. that when i went back to work i became a better parent in some aspects because I could have that break yeah and I could talk to other adults and I guess I felt again like I had a bit of a purpose Mm. I was using my brain again it was really good to go back but yeah very emotionally taxing as well
0: yeah I can imagine. I guess I hear from other parents when obviously they love their children, but when motherhood comes, like that identity that you have created for yourself and obviously your identity as a teacher, as a community member, like it totally changes when you bring a child into the mix.
1: Yeah, for sure. Mm. Like And I think as teachers, we're so dedicated to our careers I mean yeah. I don't know a lot of people outside of teachers so I yeah. can't speak for. I'm not sure there's many like accountants who are dedicated to their careers as we are yes or yeah CEOs or any other job but we become so invested in our students lives and mm. yeah that it does it takes up a huge part of your identity And then to take a step back from that, it's, yeah, really hard. And I know as well for me, I was, I guess, pretty involved in my Instagram at the time. Mm. And I would see other mums who were teachers posting about how much they loved motherhood. And I just, I couldn't see see it from their perspective like I really missed that part of me that yeah yeah Yeah. it was really good to go back it was good to go back part-time
0: yeah and like you said like sometimes as I said I'm not a mother but sometimes I have the opposite of when you're around a child all day and I guess in my job now like I am one-on-one with my student as a gubby so sometimes when you spend all day with just a child and you're like oh I need some adult interaction
1: yes it's exactly like that
0: yeah and it's that mental health aspect too because yes there it's not saying you don't love your job you don't love the children you have or anything like that but at the end of the day sometimes adult conversation can fill your cup up
1: Yes. And we had mothers groups and mm-hmm. you know, all of those things. But it's just not the same as when you go to your a uh, job, you have you're stepping into something else. And yeah. sometimes I talk to my colleagues now, like we always go and get a coffee before work. Not together, but we'll come into work and we always have a coffee. And I say to them like going to get a coffee that's my transitional time I drop Alice at childcare, mm. and then I get a coffee and when I come out of the coffee shop I'm a teacher and yeah. you just need that purpose yes
0: and I think that's a wonderful boundary in some ways that you've created for yourself to give yourself that time to go okay mum mode i just need to silence for a little bit and now i'm teacher mode and i guess that applies to anyone even if you're not a parent i know when i was teaching at a school 40 minutes from my home i loved that drive home because to me in the mornings okay teacher brain while i'm driving is could be coming on i'm turning off my personal life i guess you could say and then that drive home in the afternoon was like okay i'm leaving school behind now it's time to jump back into amy as a human.
1: Yes. It's exactly like that. And yeah, I think lots of teachers have that little ritual that they do on their drive to and from school. Like maybe you have a particular podcast that you listen to and then like, mm. and then on the way home, it might be something different. And you just, it's your way to switch your brain over because we do need that. We become so consumed with our jobs and it can be hard to switch between being a human and being a teacher.
0: Yeah, definitely. And obviously you've moved back to Melbourne now, but I just want to quickly bring something else up. I guess I was stalking your Instagram The other day just to like refresh my brain from when you were in the territory and I noticed that the kids referred to as Miss Megan and I guess can you tell us a little bit about why the reason for that was because I guess when we um growing up and I guess it's still very common now in every school like your miss or missus and referred to your surname so I guess what was that common in your school was that your choice and I guess what was the reasoning behind it?
1: That's really interesting because I've probably been Miss Megan uh, like I was was Miss Megan in Melbourne before I was Miss Megan in Alice Springs and so my school that I my previous school in Melbourne which is actually the school I'm at now again Mm -hmm. I was Miss Megan there and then when I moved to Alice Springs, the first school I went to, I said, can I be Miss Megan? And I was told no. Um, it's a respect thing. You need to be Miss and your surname. Yeah, and I was like, oh, but that's not my name. That's my mum's name. And <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I just couldn't. And then the second school that I was at, the one – that where I was there for three years. Yeah. I was Miss Megan there again because they didn't care. They were like, it's just a name. It yeah. your, your name doesn't define how your students see you and how they treat mm. you. It's your relationships and your expectations. And then the third school that I went to where I taught prep, I had to go back to Miss Surname again. <laughs> confusing for you (laughs) yeah yeah and all of the teachers at this third school were using their surname and support staff used their first name and they did that as a way to separate us
0: oh gosh
1: and again I just think that your who your students refer to you as does not define How they're going to treat you and see you, and so Mm. I'm very happy to be back at my school in Melbourne where I miss Megan again. Yeah, that's my name, and I mean, half the time it's just miss anyway.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting how you said support stuff because sometimes like I see my support staff that I've worked with, like they're equal. I don't care whether I have a teaching degree or not. We're all in it together for the kids. So it's really interesting. They have made that separation by choice, like as the whole school, because I know when I was teaching back home, all my teacher aides went by their surname, but I had one teacher aide who just wanted her first name, not Miss, Mrs, nothing, just her first name. And I, I remember the kids going, "Oh, are we allowed to call her by that?" I was like, "Well, that's her choice at the end of the day, and that doesn't change who she is as a person, or like she is still a very important part of our classroom."
1: Yeah, I don't really get why your name and what you choose to be referred to as Mm. is so important in some schools, and like you said, your support staff are equal to you, and that was a really important and pushed thing at our seconds at my second school we Mm -hmm. our principal would often talk about the relationship that you had with your support person and that the student should see you as equal yeah and yeah I completely agree with that my support staff that I work with now they go by their first name and I go by my first name and there's no difference between us Mm. yeah I'm
0: yeah and I guess you still have to earn that respect and vice versa for the kids so just because you're using your surname and I guess that probably I don't know if that's because we're younger and it's a change of generation thing too
1: yeah maybe it is Mm. I know that oh I guess all three principles that I had in Alice Springs we're probably of the same generation, but yeah, I just, you're right. You have to earn that respect and kids mm. aren't just going to give you that respect just because they have to refer to you by your surname. Yeah. And I also like, especially kids that have a trauma background and are so wary of mm. adults who come in and out of their lives I've taught a lot of kids who lived in out of home care and students who had parents in prison. And so having stable adults in their lives, like you have to earn their trust and their respect. It's not just going to be given to you just because you have, they have to call you by your surname.
0: Yeah. And I guess that English as a second language too probably plays a big part in it and they're family dynamics and the social structure in their communities change like for example this is not even a child this is a grown man who my dad used to work with and he has an indigenous background and he after getting to know my dad now calls him uncle obviously there's no relation there but like for him he looks up to my dad as a role model and so calling my dad uncle means like he holds dad to a high regard and that's not because dad expected him to do that that's because they got along and he sees dad as a role model and I guess that's the same with kids
1: yeah absolutely and I think I from my experience in aboriginal communities like that respect towards their aboriginal elders is granted pretty quickly Mm. like they you do refer to people as auntie, uncle and nana and that's just their title and yeah, yeah but other people you have to earn that
0: mm. so. Yeah and obviously like we said you've moved back to Melbourne I guess what was the decision behind that because you spent about five years if I'm correct in Alice Springs so what, yeah, five years. Yeah. So obviously that big jump back to Melbourne then. What yeah, what was the decision behind it?
1: Um, I think COVID had quite a bit mm. to do with it. Um, by this by the time we moved back, Alice was two and a half and after two years of COVID, you know, we hadn't had that chance to have our family around coming up. To visit, or us being able to come back to Melbourne to visit, and just I'd had postnatal depression, and I, and I think yeah, after five years as well, it really became too much. Yeah, because like I mentioned at the beginning, even though Alice is a Alice Springs is a big town, once you leave, there's nothing there, so. You're sort of stuck. Yeah. And for a lot of people, you get out frequently, like you go Mm. interstate Mm. every six months. But because of COVID, we couldn't do that. So we were really stuck and we just couldn't do it anymore. It takes a toll on your mind constantly being around these kids who you love and Mm
0: -hmm. give so
1: much to but you take on all of their trauma and like I mentioned my partner was a social worker so he was taking on all of the trauma of the families that he was working with and we just couldn't do it anymore
0: yeah and I think that's really good that you could recognize that as well as well as for your daughter Alice because yeah COVID and I was there when the Northern Territory locked down and I know how hard they did lock down so I could only imagine how difficult that would have been as parents for you guys and knowing you were separated from your family and giving Alice that opportunity to grow up around her family.
1: Yeah it definitely played a huge part in us wanting to come back because I think from the very start of COVID The NT locked down and, like you said, really hard despite Mm. our low numbers. And, I mean, it's very hard for me now to be back in Melbourne and to talk about my experiences with COVID because I know that Melbourne went through something way harsher than anything we went through Mm. in the NT. And so I'm very mindful of the way that I talk about how we were locked down. Yeah. But I guess because we were so isolated and we couldn't leave and we couldn't be around our family. And, you know, for the NT, the vulnerable population, they really had to take those measures to protect people. It was a really big part of our decision.
0: Yeah. And what does your role look like now as a
1: teacher? And so I am probably in a bit of a, my dream role at the mm-hmm. moment. It's taken me a little bit of time to get my head around it, but I am no longer a classroom teacher. I work in inclusion and engagement mm-hmm. at the school that I taught at before I moved back to Alice Springs. So I was really lucky. I stayed In contact with, at the time that I was originally teaching there, she was our student wellbeing senior teacher, and now she is the assistant principal. And so we stayed in contact. And when she became aware that I was moving back, she asked me to apply for this inclusion and engagement position. And so I did. And so now I work in intervention programs within our school. Mm -hmm. Um, I do literacy and numeracy intervention with upper primary students. And so I take them for two hours a day. Um, These are students who are like maybe two to three years behind Mm -hmm. their expected achievement level. And so I do a lot literacy and numeracy work with them but it's more hands-on and engaging so we do a lot of cooking and making things and then writing about it and giving them that life experience and then I also have a play-based program where I work with students in prep and year one and I just run like I guess like what I was doing in my prep classroom, just a play session and Mm -hmm. that's for my kids who because of their two years they spent with COVID haven't developed those early social skills that we would expect kids to have. And so we do a lot of conflict resolution and friendship building and it's my favourite part of my week. And I've also taken on... Tutoring all of our Indigenous students. So mm-hmm. um, we get additional funding from the government to support our Indigenous students. And so I run some small group tutoring programs with them. It sounds
0: like My- a wonderful mixture.
1: Yeah, I've realised mm. that I think one of the reasons that I found teaching in the NT so draining and is because you're with the same students for five hours a day and I just don't think that's me
0: yeah and I think that's really like that's okay to admit because I guess I'm a bit in the same position and That's why I had to get out of a mainstream classroom. Like I love teaching, but there were so many aspects. And like you said, like being with those kids five hours a day, and obviously I am still with the same child five hours a day, but it's (laughs) on a totally different level. And I think that's okay. Like there's you as a person and you as a teacher,
1: you're going to change over time as well. Yes, Mm. for sure. And maybe one day I will want to go back to the classroom but right now for me to give the best of myself to Alice I can't give five hours a day to the same 20 kids yeah I need to split my time up yes no (laughs) I can completely understand that I love at the end of my session I can be like okay that I'm done with you yeah like, yes. beca- and because kids they're humans too they come in mm. they might have had a bad morning and they come in and they bring that and to be able to go after two hours you're not my problem anymore yeah oh it's the best yes <laughs> no that yeah that does sound pretty good <laughs> yep uh, I'm really I'm happy and I hope that I get to continue doing it next year hint hint to my assistant
0: (laughs) (laughs) hopefully she listens
1: (laughs) yeah I'll um (laughs) send it to her
0: yes there's a little hint there (laughs) (laughs) well Megan thank you so much for jumping on I know we're recording this late during the week um after already trying to get through the first three days of the week so thank you so much for jumping on thank you so much for being so honest like with the difficulties. Cause I think, and I've said it before, like it is a very controversial, I'm not even controversial, but a lot of people don't want to put themselves out there and say the struggles they've had. And I think that's completely acceptable and understandable that they don't want to, but thank you for opening up. And I guess letting people know they're not alone.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me, Amy. I was so nervous. To do this, but it has been just so calming and so easy. And I think you're right. I think, and I often see, you know, the Teach in the Territory ads and people talk about how amazing it is. And it is amazing, it yeah. really is the best thing. And, but I would never want to deter somebody from doing it. But the reality is that it is also very, Difficult, and you have to find ways to look after yourself.
0: Yeah. And I, yeah, I think that's teaching sometimes just in general, too. Like, I'm probably not the best person because sometimes I go, Oh, teaching like it's hard. And then I go, Well, yeah, it is hard, but there's also amazing moments. And I think it's important. And I love your Instagram, which I'll tag you in it so everyone can find you. But you're honest, like, you show both sides of it as well.
1: Oh, thank you. I really, I do want to keep it real. Mm. Like, yeah, as I said, there were so many things that I loved. Yeah. But, yeah, you have to, people need to know that it is hard. Teaching in general is hard. Yes. But it's the best job. Yeah, completely
0: agree. Well, thank you again, and I'm really looking forward to, you know, you keeping the same role next year in 2023 <laughs> yeah <laughs> let's watching you in on that. instagram
1: <laughs> wow well, hopefully i'll be um posting my job position like it'll come out soon and i can do my little 2023 reveal we can celebrate we'll manifest it <laughs> all right i'm keen
0: <laughs> thanks for joining us for another episode i hope you enjoyed this episode as much as i enjoyed catching up with our guest make sure you follow us on our social media pages to keep up to date you can find us on instagram at laughter dirt education underscore podcast or on facebook at laughter Dern education the podcast until next fortnight i hope you keep well bye